0: Swivel.
1: From Swivel Media and the Product Bus, this is The Bootstrap. I'm Scotty Allen. By some accounts, bootstrap startups, or startups that don't take external funding, account for up to 85% of the startup ecosystem. And yet, when it comes to startup news and resources, they can seem almost invisible. We aim to change that. And our goal is to make the bootstrap your weekly source of startup news and discussion that goes beyond the latest fundraises by taking a more analytical look at the world of startups and discussing practical, actionable strategies that any founder and startup can use to start or further their founder journey. This week, I'm joined by business innovation expert, founder, and author Gavin Reddrop to unpack what bootstrapping a startup really means, and whether or not it's for you. But first, let's take a look at some things you should know. Here's the Startup Rundown for Thursday, the 12th of October. According to TechCrunch, bootstrapping is cool again. The proclamation was made in a recent article by Dominic Midori-David, and the reason why it should come as no surprise – it's because the tanking economy is making venture capital funds more cautious. According to the article, the difficult climate has, quote, helped diminish the stigma of bootstrapping, and companies that were once considered to be lesser than their venture-backed counterparts are no longer viewed as such, end quote. The article goes on to point out that bootstrapping doesn't have to be an all-or-nothing endeavor, but rather it's about thinking through the long term and being in control of the capital journey of your startup. Translation, if there ever was any easy investment money, It's gone now and probably not coming back. A report in The Guardian from Hanisha Harjani of the Fuller Project says that California may become the first U.S. state to require venture capital firms to disclose the race and gender of the founders of the companies they fund. A recent report from PitchBook shows that companies founded solely by women gathered just 2.1% of the total capital invested in venture-backed startups in the U.S. in 2023. That stat comes down to 0.85% of a percent for female founders of color. The legislation, which is strongly opposed by the business community, is currently awaiting California Governor Gavin Newsom's signature. Leading cap table provider Carto released its Q3 report of startup data based on the over 35,000 startups on its platform, and when it comes to the number of startups shutting down in the current climate, the news is not good. The report shows that 212 startups on Carta shut down in Q3 due to bankruptcy or dissolution, which is up from 170 in Q2 and 161 in Q1. These numbers become even more worrying when you look back to Q1 2022, when the total number of shutdowns was 72. Of the 212 shutdowns in Q3, 101 had completed a priced fundraising round, which means that they had been through a valuation process. In the first discussion of our show, we're starting at the beginning by unpacking what bootstrapping actually means, the pros and cons of it, and hopefully by the end of our discussion, you'll have an understanding of not just the fundamentals of bootstrapping, but whether or not it might be for you. To help me unpack this, I'm joined by Gavin Reddrop. Gavin is a business innovation expert and startup founder. His book, AI Tactics for Small Business, that's tactics with an X, provides small business owners with practical advice on how to incorporate AI into their business processes and became an Amazon bestseller only two weeks after its release. Gavin's diverse background includes government, corporate, and startups, focusing on technology and innovation. Gavin's led businesses across nearly every industry, from hair and beauty to Web3, crypto, and even the adult industry. Gavin, welcome to The Bootstrap.
0: Thanks, Scotty. It's great to be here.
1: First off, when we say bootstrapping in the startup context, can you just help us explain what we mean?
0: Yeah, I guess um, bootstrapping is kind of building without funding in a lot of ways. So, yeah, it's it's kind of that, that hustle and the grinds of pulling something together without having the the funds behind you, you know, you might have trickles here and there or a little bit of savings or whatever, but um, ultimately you're building it from scratch without the assistance of investment.
1: Hmm. I feel like it's something that people sometimes think is beyond them. You know, what what are some of the misconceptions that people might have about bootstrapping that we need to clarify?
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the, especially non-technical founders probably find that, it's a bit overwhelming in terms of you know how do I actually do this how do I build this how do I create this and yeah you know, the the thing now is that there are so many resources available and so many no code low code type tools and courses and information available to people and yeah you know, one of the, a great resource I've, I use a lot is acquisition.com which is Alex Hormozi's thing and all of his books and training and all of the courses are free on on there. So, you know, being able to access incredible training and resources like that is, yeah, massively beneficial to anybody sort of moving into that space.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, you are a bootstrap founder yourself. What are some of the benefits that you have personally experienced from bootstrapping?
0: Yeah, I think the, the biggest takeaway is, that expansion of knowledge and being able to learn different things across different areas. And, you know, you're sort of forced to throw yourself into those, that environment where, you know, you have to learn not only how to create and build the product, but also how to market it, how to sell it, how to follow up with customer service, what sort of pain points there are and all of that. And you just get this really quick, a fast track MBA in, in building a startup. It's, it's a great way to sort of, learn and grow your skill set in in business and in the in the startup ecosystem
1: mm. do, do you find that there's a certain level of confidence that you have to have to be able to do it like what's been your own experience of you know, imposter syndrome etc in the in that space
0: yeah i think a lot of the times it's the people who don't have the experience or don't have any prior knowledge that do the best you know they, they're going into it with no preconceptions, they're, you know, open to learning. As long as you've got an open mindset and willingness to learn and put in the time and effort into it, yeah, that's where these incredible businesses come from is, is people with the passion that they can adapt that passion into it and really just go, for lack of a better term, balls to the wall on it and yep. um, really just take, take the ball by the horns and run with it and throw themselves into that learning experience be open to adjusting their their beliefs and understanding of how things are, and pushing the boundaries to what could possibly be.
1: So, what are some of the downsides? Like, or, or what are some of the biggest challenges that bootstrapping founders face?
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess on on the flip side of it, if you're bootstrapping a business, that especially if it's a competitive a competitive space or something that there's already something else in the market for. Not having that funding can slow you down because you're trying to learn everything. You're trying to do everything on a shoestring budget. And you may be up against companies that are, or, you know, startups that have got 50000 or $100, or 100000 or a million-dollar investment behind them to be able to hire teams and staff and all of that sort of side of things. But I, I think it really goes back to that, that benefit of... Expanding your knowledge, especially early, and being able to have a really strong understanding of every department as you're building it will do you a lot better long-term because when you do get to that point of hiring sales teams and marketing teams and all of that, you'll have a good understanding of what works, what doesn't, where wow. to invest your money. And the that investment will be a lot more valuable to you long-term because you have know, you've, you've already had that experience on the ground and I think if if you've got an idea and somebody invests a hundred thousand into it all of a sudden you've given up equity in the space um, and you're sitting there with money but not necessarily sure on what to do with it or how to use it so going through the bootstrap processes it's almost a, a rite of passage in a way it's a <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a a pathway into um, into learning and getting into the space.
1: Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your own experience because you've had a really interesting background of, you know, A, picking up brand new tech and then also working on the venture capital side and ultimately deciding to do it yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about what that experience has been like and what factors led you to where you are?
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I was sort of, gone through the everything from e-com sites through to brick and mortar um, and, and social media agency type models, you know, tried built built pretty much all of those sort of standard models and that. I think the, the, the big learnings I sort of took away from each of those would be that the skills, whilst initially they may seem daunting, I remember building my first e-commerce site thinking, I don't know, I don't want to take, credit card payments and understand how to you know process somebody's credit card and then you know a few youtube videos later and you go oh you just plug stripe into it and you don't have to worry about any of that it's nice and easy and quick so i think just being nimble and flexible and exploring and having that that almost childlike mentality around just exploring what can be and what's possible and yeah you know, it reminds me of like when you first get your computer as a or for me when i was a Young teenager. And yeah, my parents would, would don't touch that. Oh, you might break it. You might do something wrong or whatever. And I was completely opposite. I was like, no, 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 you can't break it. Let's go. We'll just work it out and explore along the way. And I've sort of always taken that approach with everything that I've done is just, yeah, have a go and see what happens. And um, I think the only sort of downside to it is that, you know, doing these things as a solopreneur can be a little bit isolating and not having that. Uh, network and that sort of exposure that way i know when i went through the antler program which is cc um, startup program having other co-founders with like-minded mentalities and thought patterns and being able to bounce ideas off and all of that was massively beneficial so that's probably a big benefit to being a part of these sort of communities and these bc-led communities is being able to Leverage that network of people and and meet new people that have, yeah, not necessarily got the same idea, but are working on the same sort of problems. As far as yeah, to use that earlier example, how do I take credit card payment? Oh, just plug in Stripe, easy. Okay, cool. And yeah, having those people that you can call upon and bounce off ideas from is yeah massively beneficial.
1: I want to pick up on something that you mentioned there about not being able to break it because I think that is such an important. Mindset that you have to have approaching this, and I often talk about it as a tolerance of ambiguity. At some point, every good thing that we have, someone's had to take a risk. I often <laughs> think about that when I'm like doing recipes and cooking, as like someone was the first person to eat this and realize, oh, you don't die when you eat this, <laughs> or you know, put yeah. these you know, put these things together and they taste good. And rest in peace to all the people who learned you shouldn't <laughs> do that the hard way. But the, there is a fear, I think, that some people have with technology, with understanding technology of like, oh, I don't get it, I'm not an expert, Um, I don't want to have a go because I could break it, etc. And the reality is is that I think one reason why I've been successful is because I'm just not afraid to muck around and try things until I find the thing that works. And sometimes you fix something or you do something and you don't necessarily really know why it works now, but you can rather than getting hung up on, wait, is that going to happen again? I'm like, well, I don't know. It's working now. Let's get going. So, yeah. I do think that that's a really important characteristic for, particularly, a bootstrapping founder.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Not uh, the the generally or generally speaking, um, customers, especially of an early startup, are very forgiving. They're, they're supportive. They want to help you grow they you know they're okay with the error here or there and they're okay with a couple of you know fulfillment issues not being sorted out or those kind of things as long as you're quick to react and um and fix the problem i say, you know, everybody there's always going to be a problem come up in in business whether you've been in it for six months or 60 years it's there's always going to be problems it's how you deal with those and how you fix those that that matters to the customer. And I think if you've got that mindset to explore and try new things and yeah, have a crack at it, then you're also going to have the mindset of, okay, problems are going to come up, you know, what, what are the creative ways that we look at fixing those to make sure um, that these things are not only prevented later and fixed but um, com- not co- compensated in terms of financial but as far as being able to maintain that customer relationship so there's an example i was working with startup a while ago and they had a an online chat application thing for it was kind of mental health exploration type thing using ai to be able to have conversations and it went down early stage so the i think it was the open ai api connection had gone down and it was, it was down for about 24 hours and they had one of their um, early stage clients who was using it, one of their more heavy users, was like, hey, you know, is it back up yet? And kept getting the errors saying, you know, sorry, offline at the moment um, type thing. And I said to them the, "The what they should do is contact her and send her a written like a, a hand journal, uh, you know, jump on print on demand type style stuff, get a... Branded journal that's a written one, and send it to them with a little note saying, you know, sorry it was down. Here's a journal that you can use but <laughs> if, if it happens again, and then that way you can uh, have, have something type thing. Just little things like that, where if you think outside the box and just come up with a creative solution to, yeah, it, mm. it just makes a massive difference. And then you'll have a lifelong customer in that that person because they've they've seen how. You react to something when it doesn't work people yeah. understand that things break it's it's how you fix it how you react
1: so i mentioned before that you've ultimately chosen to go down the bootstrapping road what are the main factors in making that decision for you
0: yeah i think it, it's not so much a decision as a permanent decision i think it really depends on which business and oh, for sure. the kind of kind of business that you've got if you want to scale something to become a unicorn at some point you're going to need to have vc backing and um, go through that process but i think for me initially having the freedom of choices and ability to be flexible and not not aligned to a mandate is more important than having early early funding i'd rather get something off the ground quicker with with my own Values and beliefs, and you know, processes, and then bring in outside funding. After I mm. think if you go too early in the VC phase, um, the direction of the business can be manipulated quite a lot. And yeah, not necessarily in a in a ma- malicious way, but just in a in terms of that's what's aligned best with the VC's values and their their processes and what they want as their end goal, which is ultimately to make a profit. And, you know, if you've got a business that's not aligned with with their mandate, having that freedom and flexibility to make your own decisions is more important, especially in the early stage. So mm. yeah, that's sort of probably the large factor of why I prefer doing the bootstrapping side I, I of think things.
1: Often people don't realize how much control you lose of your runway as well, because obviously when you have an investor, they are at some point looking for a return and yeah. they are going to be motivated to push you to that point, which means that some of your ability to pivot, to learn, to make mistakes, etc., is taken away or the, the tolerance for that becomes less. And so, you know, yeah. I, we often work at the product bus. We often work with people who, have been working on something for a while and it may have stalled for whatever reason and they're not quite sure and that's where we come in to help. And often the the time frame is a stressor to them. But the beauty is that if it took you two years longer than you thought to get this to market, but you own it all and you're still financially okay because you haven't actually splashed out lots of cash on it, then that's time that you've had to actually really find your market positioning do your learning, come out with a more refined first version. And that's something I think that is advice that founders often don't get in the incubator, accelerator, VC space, because that model is more, let's splash some cash at it to do our learning. If we burn a bit at the beginning, that's okay. It's it's a really different model that people, I think, don't understand how viable an option it is for some things. What are some of the factors that are going to determine for a founder whether bootstrapping is going to work for them or or not?
0: Yeah, I think um, similar to sort of what we've already spoken about, it's it's very much aligned with that mentality. If you've got the that mindset of being able to be somebody who can go, okay, here's a problem, I need to find out how to fix that you know, and be able to do that research, that learning, and take the time to to educate yourself on those things. It's it's definitely going to be more advantageous to if you're somebody who's not that. Um, having said that, VCs often look for founder who or founders um, who do have that grit and hustle and ability. So it's you, know, you kind of need that in both aspects. Mm. I think one of the other sort of factors that you sort of really should take into consideration now and especially now is i and its ability to to help streamline a lot of these processes and and really help you be able to build a one person business or you know a two or three person business and scale that rapidly and and quite large and yeah if you from from the basics you could use zapier and make and those kind of platforms to be able to integrate ai into you know customer service marketing service delivery aspects and all of that sort of stuff and i think um the the time that we're in now to be able to leverage those kind of tools and those kind of things that we have access to that we've never had access to before is going to see a massive change in a lot of startup and just the way they the way they think the way they process stuff and yeah, these problems that we spoke about earlier—they come up once, and then you fix that with an automated solution through AI. All of a sudden, you can not only fix it, but ten x the the value return on the other side, and mm. especially in that customer service space. And mm. recently, I was at the at an event that Sam Altman spoke at, and if you don't know, he's the CEO of OpenAI, so probably soon to be one of the one of the biggest names in the in the world the guys behind chat gpt so he he actually said during during the event that um him and his mates have got a a bit of a bet on at the moment to see when the first solopreneur company will hit a billion dollar valuation so when when the first one person company becomes worth a billion dollars and I, i took that as a yeah, challenging yeah. type, <laughs> type thing. So, yeah, that's sort of in the back of my mind now if everything I do is like, okay, mm. can I do this by myself instead yeah. and use AI and not yeah. outsource? And I think I was at the same things. event and yeah.
1: the, the the challenge out of that is, it is something that a founder certainly has to get their head around in a, in, in a, a fairly urgent way because of the increasing demand for that type of technology but B, as you said for just streamlining ways of working and working out I, I was chatting to a client earlier today about a potential development need and i was really like look i think before we w- think about spending money on that we need to work out what we can solve ourselves here using tools available like AI. yeah you know i have we have a great Team of of consultants that are working on building the product bus, but in my Chat GPT, I have a couple of tailored consultants that that are trained and know specific things to help me with tasks. When I, yeah. one of them is called Penny, the product bus conductor. <laughs> it's like I want you to be the expert in all things, so that you know when I'm landing, I'm not just talking to a random, you know, chat window. I'm talking to an AI that actually can speak the language of the business, etc., And that doesn't, it doesn't replace humans. What it does do is allow me to just iterate faster and be much more productive in ways yeah. that, you know, we were, it's not something that's, we should be fighting. We should be embracing.
0: Yeah. I, I, yeah. I hundred percent agree. I think those who embrace it will, will do well. And those who don't will definitely struggle going forward um yeah it's funny that you mentioned about having having these agents type thing that you know your your penny (laughs) penny agent (laughs) that sort of stuff i'm actually building out a system at the moment early stage planning of it but a a tool that basically does that process for people so it's uh specifically around marketing at this stage but that pre-priming and pre-prompting sort of phase where it's primed and ready to go so as soon as you you hit the button and ask it the question it knows exactly what you're trying to trying to get out of it and yeah i think having that those kind of tools is going to streamline a lot of a lot of things and um massively in the customer service space but yeah also in the marketing and sales sort of side of things and
1: 100 percent.
0: there's some so we, really cool tools coming out
1: we definitely <laughs> we should do another chat about that yeah i was going to say of, we definitely uh, need yeah. to have you back to just talk all things ai so when, back to bootstrapping, what might be some red flags that it's not going to be the right fit for you or for your startup?
0: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it, again, it sort of comes down to that vision of what you want from your business and you know, what you're building in your startup. So if you, if you want to build a, a business or a startup that generates 250 grand or 500 grand a year and you're just happy to cruise along you really love what you're doing and that's all you want to do um then go bootstrap just you know build it yourself enjoy having that profit and the freedom and the ability to test and adjust and do what you want but if you've got your heart set on building a unicorn and you want (laughs) to build a billion dollar business then you know you really need to have that pathway into vc and I think if you've not experienced that, then doing a, a you know, a start mate or an antler or something like that is a great way to sort of get exposure into that space and have an understanding of how the VC world works and then you, you can decide ultimately. You can mm-hmm. you can make that decision. I think another sort of red flag would be what your relationship with your co founder is like. If you're if you've got a really, really strong relationship with your co founder you've Got expectations set in place. You both work really, really well together, and you know exactly that you're both on the same path, and you want to try and get to the exact same vision and goal. Um, bootstrapping can can work really well, but if you're slightly misaligned on goals and plans mm. and all of that sort of stuff, then mm. having that third party VC as a almost a moderator in that those conversations can really help just. Align the the direction and the vision of the of the business, and yeah, you know, again, it really comes back to what you want. If you want to you, your own business that you control and you feel comfortable with, and you are happy with, and you can live off quite comfortably from, versus chasing the the big dream of having a a massive massive company. And I will sort of also add to that that you know, a lot of these companies that VCs invest in, it's know, like one in 10 or one in 20 that actually get to those sort of high valuation levels. Most sort of sit at the low to mid-range valuation. So it's not necessarily a guaranteed path to to that sort of process, but yeah, it can definitely help having, having the funding along the way. Mm,
1: I think aligning your life goals to it, as you said, is really important. And that's one of the first questions that I ask founders is, what do you want out of this? Because mm people, some people are incredibly passionate about their idea and what they really want is to see it come to life and add the value that they believe that it can add and make a living off of it. And in that instance, I would always say start off bootstrapping, build this to the point where it really is the thing that you believe that it can be and then see if investment can help you scale that. I've been in startups pre and post investment and the, the change that happens in an organization when that point happens is marked. It's really significant. Uh, and I think if you haven't experienced it, you don't kind of understand you know you get a lot of great things out of it, but it also you know inherently changes the culture, changes the you know the focus, et cetera. And like I said before, your ability to and yeah. maybe move at a slightly slower pace. So if you think about people that are... Sorry, just
0: just on that. uh, uh, The other important thing is that you can go bootstrapping to VC, but typically you can't go VC back to bootstrapping. (laughs) So (laughs) starting with bootstrapping is always a a great way to do it because at least that way you're building it. and, And then you can decide later down the track if you get six months down and you go... Okay, actually, we've got something here, and it needs to scale, and we need cash in the bank.
1: Hundred percent.
0: Then you know you can bring in a VC, but yep. if you accept a hundred grand day one, and you want to go back to bootstrapping, you've got to work out terms to be able to get that money back to them. So exactly. Yeah, yeah. if you've already spent it, it's a, it makes it a bit harder. So That's right. I, <laughs> I mean, think there are times where start, start yeah, with the bootstrapping.
1: Th- there are times where that ultimately you're going to need an investor, I've got a someone I'm mentoring at the moment who has a, a hardware idea. And yeah. it is something that obviously is not gonna be made without investment. But the work that we're doing right now is very low cost validation of is this something that's actually worth making? Because even making a prototype will be expensive. And so if we can prove the, the business case for it before we make a thing uh, then there's a stronger argument for the funds that are going to be needed for capital. You know whether that's it's probably not VC; it's probably you know private investment in the, in this case. But yeah. there's a, if you can if you've done the work to show people either a you've already made money, which if it's a software product, particularly if it's you know something marketplace, etc., really you've got to already be making money. And demonstrate how someone can get a return on their investment from putting you know helping you scale. They're not gonna give you money for your first hundred grand to make your first dollar, right? You can spend that time bootstrapping, doing your research, doing it very low cost, or if the more skills you have yourself and the more time you have to put into it for for nothing, to then make that case where you can actually then make a stronger case for more money or more investment because you can demonstrate how it's going to be spent, and what the return on it is going to be. And I think that's the the thing that sometimes I think it's kept a bit mystical for people because maybe VCs don't really want people to understand all of that, you know, or or their own bargaining power in that sense. So if you think about people that are on the precipice of you know starting something, of making a decision, either just about starting a founder journey or about bootstrapping, what's the best piece of advice that you could offer them
0: yeah i think to to touch on the the point that you just made around having having sort of traction already happening to earlier gives you more a lot more negotiating ability later so if you go in too early you're going to be giving up too much equity to get the funding that you need whereas if you can get that traction that cash flow that proof of concept the business model right and then go in, you've got a much stronger position to stand on. So I'd I'd say that's definitely sort of one of the pieces of of advice. And the other would be just dive in, have a crack, have a go, jump on YouTube, look up no code tools to do what you want to do. If, if it's a software business that you're building or if, you know, if it's hardware ring up, find 3d printers, get things created, like just hustle and grind and really throw yourself in that space of just learning and understanding that it is a journey. It is a learning process. Find the resources that you you need and really just absorb everything you can. And you don't have to do it all at once. You can do step by step by step and get the product part or get the market fit. Uh, You can start anywhere. You can start from making a hundred calls to, potential clients and see if they'd even want the thing before you start building it. Or, you know, you can start, if it's a SaaS thing and you think you can build it in a weekend, get the MVP going, jump on bubble or Flutterflow or whatever, learn those programs, get it built quickly and get an MVP in market and push it out to to test it and adjust it. And I don't think at no point should you build it all in silence and then not test and adjust along the way it's kind of like you know if you're writing a book and you don't know you don't know what you want in chapter one two three four five to ten or whatever you you don't write the entire book at once you do one chapter at a time and you you yeah, you, know, you might put your contents together and your your plan but then when you're building it you're building piece by piece by piece and yeah, and then you cross-reference and get things working together and adjust and edit and all of that sort of stuff. And, yeah, just call on other people that have done it before. One thing I found was other founders are so, so, so supportive of other founders. And, yeah, i I say jump on LinkedIn, look up, search for founder or co-founder or those kind of titles and find people, that not necessarily directly in your stream of what you're building, but in in that niche at least and in that space and that industry where you can go to them and say, This is my thoughts, this is what I'm thinking. Have you got any thought ideas? Can I validate this with you? And you'll be surprised at how many found it willing to give their time yeah. and have those conversations and help.
1: 100%. percent That's you know, I'm always yeah. pushing people join a network, join a mastermind, join a free lunch thing because you've a you learn a lot by having to synthesize ideas to your own context so when in my my kind of early founder cohort there were people doing tech there were people doing services there was someone making nitro iced tea there were all kinds of things and i learned so much from their journey cuz i'm another you, you think well, what am i going to learn from nitro iced tea but then hey <laughs> it tastes really good by the way looking at their journey and Having to synthesize that to my own, A, helps me understand at a more deeper level what I need to do. But also, the more that you put yourself in a position where you're explaining what you're trying to do, the more feedback and validation you get. Because you work in a silo for too long, and then someone asks you, what are you doing? And you can't even – I've I've done that myself. Where I'm like, oh my god, I don't make sense anymore. What am I doing? Because I, I haven't kind of shared the pitch for too long. The other thing I would add to what you just said also is don't quit your day, day job. Mm, um, absolutely. You know, like, don't don't just jump in and think, right, I'm going to do this full time because then you're going to be broke. Your runway is a lot shorter. Whereas if you can fund what you're doing and you, you do that really sensibly by focusing on research and strategy before development or marketing, the spend can be pretty low. And be prepared also that you might let the idea go and find something else so you know you go all in and then you've got nowhere to go it's either sink or swim yeah,
0: yeah. i think there's there's a i definitely agree agree with that and i think there's definitely two kinds of people That's the the highly risk tolerant ones and the very risk adverse as far as you know, startup founders going i'm very much in the risk tolerant <laughs> box so i yeah you know, i did quit my job and go all sure. in and just have yeah. a crack time think when i started but I'd absolutely agree. If if you don't have to build it on the sides, you know, put in the extra time after work and after hours and, and do that. And there's a, there was a guy actually, he I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was, he had six $100,000 a year jobs that he'd worked from home jobs that he'd applied for and got the jobs, but he was using AI to help, <laughs> help him complete each of those jobs. And he was working six different jobs. So, you know, the, the the point to that is not not go off and use AI to create extra jobs, but to leverage the tools that are available to streamline and create efficiencies, so that you can fit in these extra extra hours to build and learn and and come up with stuff. Because you know if you if you want it bad enough, you'll find time to make it.
1: Imagine if you could send your AI to a meeting. <laughs> Like well, well you,
0: you know, can have you can have a AI's uh, join your meeting and some. True, yeah, but what if you didn't even and have
1: to that, go? Like. Into the- <laughs> it,
0: it won't be far off. I, was, <laughs> yeah, I
1: reckon. Yeah, I was yeah. looking
0: at some of the AI avatar stuff the other day, actually, and it's getting scarily close to yes. being quality enough.
1: Yeah, well, you know, we've got to jump on this window because I don't think that we've got a lot of time before the AI's just decide they don't even need us. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And any final thoughts that you want to share with people in this sort of bootstrapping space before we sign off?
0: To summarise, it would be just have a crack, dive in, leverage resources that are available both online and offline in cohorts. You know, join startup cohorts and those kind of networking events and all of that to be able to build build out your network of people that you can call upon for ideating and brainstorming and all of that find people in your niche that have done it before and you know contact them don't be afraid to reach out and yeah just just have a crack i think you know it's that a lot of people have this itch of of wanting to do something or these ideas or you know you often hear people go oh i had that idea five years ago i should have done something (laughs) about it it's like Now's your time to just do it. Have a crack. Right. So, a lot of small business, like online businesses and startups and that, that you probably never heard of that are making, you know, two, three, four, five million dollars a year comfortably and easily. It's possible for, for anybody to get out there and have a go. The tools are there, the resources are there. Just dive in. Worst case, you end up with a free MBA. <laughs> it's a crash course MBA.
1: Great advice. Gavin, thank you so much for your time.
0: No worries. Thanks, Scotty. Appreciate it.
1: You can find out more about Gavin and his work at gavinredrop.com. That's redrop with two Ds. And that's it for the bootstrap for this week. New episodes are coming every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe or follow the show wherever you listen. And we'd love you to help get the word out by telling other people about The Bootstrap, and if you feel led, leaving a positive rating and review to help others find the show. We're working on our social media presence, but for now, you can find The Product Bus on most platforms and interact with The Bootstrap posts there. We'd love to hear from you. The Bootstrap is a production of Swivel Media and The Product Bus. It was developed by me, Scotty Allen, and Declan McGee. This episode was produced by Declan McGee with assistance from Sammy Perryman. Sound design and mix by Rob Clark. If you're an early stage founder looking for resources and practical help, check out theproductbus.com and get in touch.